Ladies and gents, um, welcome back to another podcast with engineers. Today we've got uh, a chap called Renato, who's a senior engineering manager at Momentive. He's going to talk to us a little bit about uh, Momentive, three corp, uh, sorry, three products uh, that have been encapsulated or incorporated into their brand, um, some components to their CDN and some really other interesting topics around their architecture. So, Renato, um, thanks for joining us on this winter evening. How are you? I'm doing great. Well, thanks for the invite. For sure, very, uh, well, it's a lot of pleasure to be here in your podcast. Looking forward to the comments later, to the people asking difficult questions, and to the chat with you. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, do you want to give everyone listening a bit of an intro into... You, Renato, the guy, um, and also Momentive. Just give us that elevator pitch. Yeah, absolutely. Let's start with Momentive. So we are known for SurveyMonkey the most, right? That's our biggest brand inside Momentive. And that's one of our three pillars. The other two are MRX, which stands for Market Research, which is also a growing uh, ecosystem. And the third one is CX, which is Customer Experience. And our main product's called Get Feedback. So that's the one I work for, and that's the one I can uh, talk the best for sure. But uh, in general, Momentum is bringing surveys and AI to the next level, right? And when you think okay. about CX, we can totally think about how you survey your customers, how do you give them voice, how do you make sure you do the best in your product for those customers. And it's connecting a bit from Renato, uh, from Momentum and Renato himself. I really feel like the customer experience is the next thing to make to make myself buy a product or become a customer because I do feel very valuable when uh, my feedback is taken seriously and when I see the company respects the customer. And that's what I work on. So that's also very interesting for me. It was very good when the first time I used our tool and I actually got an answer from a, a random vendor that I was dealing with and it was all very positive then I could really see the value of that, right? So if you, uh, one of our main products is the feedback button. So like a lot of times you're navigating on websites and then you find yeah. like a button on the right side and then you click, there is a big chance it's us. We are in a lot of yeah. big brands and that's uh, that's very cool. So we are processing all this data, the surveys, this feedback, and that's uh, that's our pillar. And yeah, go uh, ahead. No, I agree. I was going to say, I, I think it's massively important in today's market i i heard a really interesting piece that at times because of accessibility of products there can be um no customer loyalty so customer feedback is that second best thing where you can understand how do you actually retain customers you know that acquisition and retention of customers is probably the central thing uh, to any revenue generating business, right? So it makes sense yeah. why this is such an important tool. It is the yeah, it is the division of the new economy and the old one. Yeah. Uh, in the past, people were used to, you know, get only one type of thing and then uh, they would have to be happy just to have a product. And nowadays as customers, we are really demanding. We want to, you know, everything to be custom, to work for us, and we wanted the best customer experience. And being in this market, seeing the good companies going forward and the mm. ones that don't listen to their customers losing market is, is what I'm in this business for. 
making sure we all get good stuff. Okay, tell us about your role with Momentum. What do you do? Well, I, I like to say I do a lot of uh, architecture and systems design, but in reality, the team is getting big. So I do a lot of uh, people stuff as well. But uh, in, uh, in Momentum right now, I'm fully focused on the get feedback pillar. And okay. my team takes care of the platform, ops, infra, QA, uh, automations. So, for instance, integration with Slack, Salesforce, Zendesk. And, yeah, all of those things more kind of backend slash platform related. Those are the, the teams that I've been currently managing. Okay. Well, what's a hot topic of uh, a tough engineering challenge that, that you guys have got going on at the moment? Well, that, that there is a good one. We now, uh, we've been releasing the customer experience tooling for mobile. Yeah. So we've been exploring like integrations with Unity, for instance, and other uh, frameworks in the, mm. in the game industry and in the mobile industry. Yeah. Then we've been facing a lot of interesting load issues recently because we got some big uh, mobile games uh, customers. And then we're yeah. like, oh, damn, how do we like architect this whole thing? But uh, this is more like one technical recent challenge, but I would say our biggest challenge, very hot, is unifying... Because the, the get feedback is actually the sum of three things. It is Usabilla, which was an acquisition, get feedback, yep. which was an acquisition, and also SurveyMonkey CX, which was an internal product. So we're actually the sum of those three things. So that's actually a very interesting challenge. How do you get three different products uh, into a single experience and you actually make the teams still productive? So engineering productivity is a hot topic for sure. Uh, how how do you integrate the people and the tech there? You know, we spoke a little bit about that offline, but the integration part and unlocking some of the really good things that you've built in some of those systems, but allowing the people to use them. How do you do that? Well, I must say it's been a bumpy road. Uh, it's not easy, <laughs> but uh, one of the answers was, of course, decoupling. Uh, the whole goal was like, how do we actually empower each of the teams to be able to publish their code and still don't break the, the greater product, right? So a lot of times people are talking about microservices and micro frontends, and that's pretty much the technique we are using. Okay. However, it was mostly introduced to be able to handle the team growth and the amount of uh, yeah, teams contributing to the code simultaneously and the natural expansion of the, the product, right? Because if we if we take this example of mobile gaming and then we have an SDK in JavaScript for, for the websites, yeah. and then we have, you know, like a big infrastructure of data pipelines behind it to be able to process this data and do machine learning and do analysis, sentiment analysis and topic key extractions. Like those are very different teams and they have to cooperate, but also yeah. they have to have autonomy. So for us, the microservice really fit into our into our use case. Although we say microservices, I like to say it's more like right size services. We don't go crazy about you know one new microservice per day. That's not really our style. It's more like we have a couple of dozen services. Okay. So it's not like a, yeah a big you know a snowball of, of a, yeah of microservices. I, I had a really interesting discussion actually with a team over in Paris around macro services and microservices. 
Um, uh, we won't necessarily go into those details, but th- there's some really interesting points that I think a lot of people can learn from that, just not being too tunnel visioned on creating so many um, microservices for different parts of your system. That might actually reflect what you're talking about. Yeah, totally. I mean, the the more services you introduce, uh, the more patterns you create or the more distraction or actually anti-patterns yeah. you create. So there is a whole challenge. How do you keep them kind of the same, but still able to do their own thing and grow from there? So yeah. it introduces a lot of work for the platform teams, for instance. Like, yeah. how do you deploy all of those things? How do you keep standards? How do they communicate? How are the contracts handled? Like, there is an exponential amount of complexity going on that uh, we cannot ignore, for sure. Yeah, uh, I can imagine with so many challenges, specifically the mobile games. You know, I, I know I, I don't necessarily know some of the games that you're working with. I'd be quite interested to know if you can share it, but some of them can have two, three, four million unique users daily and understanding customer feedback from them um, if you're trying to over-engineer everything under the hood anyway, you, um, you're just creating problems for yourself, or no doubt yeah, you will. Totally. And uh, your example is, is very accurate. We're we're talking like this customer that we are piloting yeah. is really big, and they have like tons of millions of uh, players every day. So it's Do quite they? interesting. Like uh, really curious to see the outcome they're going to have as a customer. Yeah, because they might find insights they were not able to find before for not having yeah. to completely like designed for for receiving uh, customer feedback. Coinciding that with other companies that you must work with, especially in like retail, ecom, your scale no. must be literally off the charts with you know what you must deal with or handle. Well, it's not a off the charts like crazy stuff. It is a okay. It's a good scale. Like we do about half a billion requests per day. Oh, wow. And indeed, okay. a, a lot of the traffic comes from those uh, feedback buttons and uh, analytics and statistics coming from uh, all of those websites, especially e-commerce. Like right now, in uh, during Black Friday, we process like 700 million requests during that evening or something like that. So, But uh, that's, there is a lot of read there as well. I'm not, it's not all right. I would say okay. if we were having like 700 million feedback responses, that would be like uh, quite crazy. But uh, not everyone that visits the websites like actually contribute back. We do okay. see influx though when uh, there is a, a bug or something's not available. As we speak right now, Amazon is having issues on the US East one. So okay. I'm expecting to see a tiny peak on our two as well with people complaining. Give us some live feed. Give us yeah, some live actually. feed. <laughs> Uh, well, I'm not sure if I can show something, but no, for I'm sure kidding. we are um, <laughs> we are seeing something. <laughs> okay, um, break. So you're a senior engineering manager. Break down your team. Uh, un- help us understand the tech team because people are probably listening to um, some of that scale and understanding. We've got platform. We've got infra. Other teams. So just break down teams. And how they're organized. Uh, Let me break down the whole org uh, because we have also like the other product engineering teams. Uh, So we have two sides on the engineering. One is the more product facing teams and the other more 
platform like like teams which is the teams that i have so on the uh, product teams we have the team responsible for collecting feedback so that's called collect team yeah so basically they are the ones managing those sdks for mobile for you know uh, sdks for unity for the js version on the website yeah. and also doing the first entry level of processing the responses then as we go down the pipeline we have the team responsible for the analysis so yeah. they take that feedback in that response and they start doing like you know filtering private private information from customers and processing the location or processing the user agent and then going further into a bunch of machine learning uh uh, algorithms we have so we partner a lot with the bigger momentum team to give us like a lot of insights when it comes to sentiment analysis key topic phrases extraction and all of that kind of stuff so we have like the, the this part of the product is called the enrichment of the feedback yeah and we have like 10 plus uh, asynchronous steps happening all the time wow uh, after that this is always put into like Elasticsearch and other all app uh, storages, so then it can serve for the dashboarding and all the real time aggregation and analytics for our customers. Yeah. Then we have the people team, which is the people managing like a contact. So let's say if you have a program where you have a CRM, let's say Salesforce, and then there is a customer associated, and then you send a survey to them. And then we want to start tracking like that the service from those from that people over time. So there is yeah. a team created for that. There is a team called Plan as well, which uh, resolves the um, uh, like creating those programs. So let's say if you want to have a NPS, the Net Promoter Score, which is one of yeah. the metrics really being used right now around CX. So let's say yeah. if you want to have an NPS program over time with a group of customers. Yep. then you can bootstrap a program there. That's a new initiative. It's not uh, released yet, but there is that team as well. And then uh, the people team is actually on my side as well because it's more like of a background processing. Then we have the ACT team, which is also on, uh, on my side, which is responsible for all of those integrations. So let's say response comes in after it's been enriched and treated. Then we want to fire to Slack, emails, exports, Zendesk, uh, Etc. Etc. So there is a whole team dealing with that, and the reason is this team also behaves like a platform because we yep. want to make sure that we can add new integrations without having to code everything. Because a few things are very common, let's say error handling or retries or back off okay. retries and queuing prioritization, like all of those things are very common when you think about dispatching uh, uh, dispatching data out of the system. So this team basically not just created those integrations, but they also created the engines behind them. So new integrations gotcha. can easily be added. That's why they work very close to our platform team, which then on my team, there is the platform, uh, two platform teams basically, because we uh, have a team in North America and one in Europe. Gotcha. So we have about like uh, 20 people in total. Uh, inside of the platform team, that's where we have ops, QA, then we have uh, QA is mostly soft engineers in test. So they are creating yeah. automation, smoke tests, and other kind of cool stuff, code coverage for everyone because microservices introduces uh, more complexity. So the soft engineers in test help us with that. Good. They also develop like a packed contract tests. So they are kind of 
creating the glue between all of those services yep. to make sure we can do contract testing. Nice. Then we have JavaScript engineers in the platform team to handle, for instance, uh, distribution of modules via CDN. We can talk a little bit about that as well. Yeah. Uh, they will have backend engineers in the platform team as well to be able to handle like common services. For instance, we run change data capture as a service from the platform team. So yeah. any team can, can use it. So we need some backend and Java engineers there for that. Oh, let me see if I'm not forgetting anything. <laughs> uh, <laughs> then, yeah, the Salesforce team is also in my, uh, in my area. Yep. And that pretty much sums it up. Yeah. So before we talk about the module system, like you spoke about the JavaScript engineers and the platform team, because I think that's a really interesting part that we can talk about some of your uh, front end or React components on your CDN. What, what type of culture do you try and create? Is there like a standard ethos that you want within some of your engineering teams as to maybe how to problem solve or approach engineering? Do you have a collective way of working? We do have some cultural traits that uh, we've been kind of making sure to feed over time. Uh, when uh, we talk about, for instance, DevOps mindset, what I mean by it is like the same example I gave you about the automations and the actions integrations we have, that's part of that mindset, right? You just you don't just create, I don't know, a Slack integration that talks directly to the other systems. We make sure that we have a strong engine and that's going to be reusable. So there is a lot of thought going there and all the teams really spend a lot of time on systems design because as we use Kafka and messaging event-driven for almost everything, it means there is a lot of power to tap into some of those wires and build okay. from there. So the culture really has to reflect on that because you need to know what you put in Kafka, what you put in your buses and what can actually create more business opportunities. Because some of this data can be so useful. So let's say uh, the response being inside Kafka is extremely useful because now we have many downstream consumers able to consume from those responses and create their own integration. So that service analytics, real-time aggregations, on-demand aggregations, and the actions and integration to Slack, Zendesk, et cetera. So all comes from the same source. And this also means that... Uh, for instance, if the team managing people and those contacts in the platform also publish messages to Kafka, in the future, another team can tap in. So the culture has to be really strong about how do you design contracts? How do you design your messages? How do you think about events? How do you think about like, the potency of those events, the history of those events? And on top of the, the cherry on top there is like, how do you keep PII constrained? How do you implement your security and privacy, GDPR, all that kind of stuff? So that there is a lot going on there to make DevOps with self-service and making sure those things can really see the light of the day. You, you hit a really interesting note, and uh, you, you probably meant this because you probably talk about this at a senior level, about how much business opportunity they can create by tapping into different wires or different services because it's a data game, right? So that is more a mindset thing. Like that, That's why I'm quite interested is in how do you coach people at scale to do that? Because that that is continual. That, that is like a, 
if if you like a, a mental continuous integration thing that you need to keep coaching you can't just say to someone by the way uh, that piece of data is so valuable put it there because you need to continually reinforce that so how 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 do you think you will try and do that? Because that's what I think is a really interesting point. Yeah, really, really like your question. So be careful, otherwise we're going to spend three hours here talking about it. Okay. <laughs> You're hitting a very interesting point. So the there is no easy answer here, right? Like there is a lot of work and we do a lot of things related to education and giving examples. So for instance, when a team like uh, we have now 70 plus engineers in the team. So at this point in time, it's not just the microservices or the architecture anymore. Like there are multiple systems that's being designed at the same time. And that's very tricky, right? Because not everyone is going to have the mindset of reusability or how to design for future use without over-engineering. It's always like the fine-tuning, right? Because if you tell an engineer like, hey, this got to be reusable, maybe you're going to find yourself in a over-engineering rabbit hole. Mm. But uh, if you don't say anything, you might find something so closed, so like hardened that uh, you can never reuse it. So how do we balance that? We, are, we have a lot of mechanisms in place. So we have uh, chapters. So we have like backend chapter, frontend chapter where people share what they are doing. That's more like a large level. We have an architecture chapter that we, when, like we have a bunch of champions in every team. I can talk a little bit more about how we created those champions and how we mm. cater for that. And those champions, like they detect the right moments to involve the architecture team or to bring this to a higher uh, group discussion, like say it, it breaks out from a single team and it goes to the backend chapter, for instance, or it goes to the architecture chapter. So we have some champions making sure this is happening. And we also have things like some of the design sessions get so interesting, we record them and then we share with others. Hmm. And then we invite people from different teams for those knowledge sharing. So Let's say we found a very interesting pattern with the event-driven and we found a way to solve a difficult problem. We're going to invite everyone and make like, hey, this session is going to be open for the whole engineering. Whoever wants to join and then we record it and then we share it again. But there is a lot of repetition. Uh, yeah. One thing I learned is like a lot of times we don't like to repeat because we think everyone assimilates things when you say once, but that's not the truth, right? Repeating is key factor here. So yeah. we talk about Kafka, the capabilities of Kafka, event-driven, idempotency, handling events, privacy. Those are topics we talk on a regular cadence. We never stop talking about them. Do, do you show real examples of an engineer writing code where it's integrated with a different service and unlocked some value somewhere? Does someone maybe save that? and maybe showcase that in a presentation and say, sadly, well, not sadly, but look what I did and this is why I did it. Because I think this these things, I think, are massively important as in reusability and sharing what you're doing. But the repetition part, even in non-engineering as well, I think is so important for people to learn it's it's all about a mindset thing yeah totally one of the things that actually helps with the more coding is the hackathons okay so we have once or twice in a year a hackathon and then for instance one of the projects we've done the last time uh, we we got we got our feedback solution and we made it in a way that it could be embedded in any website 
But because there is no customer associated with that, what we've done, we created, as soon as a feedback would come in from a unknown website, we would automatically create a dashboard for that domain. Then you think, that looks simple, but to make that happen, we tapped in like three, four different places that already had either a well-designed API or we tapped inside of the response stream inside Kafka. And we were able to do all of that without having to code in any of the existing service, right? Like we just okay. tapped in three, four different places and then we make a presentation and then we create a repo in GitHub and then we share it. And then we have other sessions to dig through the, the solution and then people get more excited and they start becoming more creative. Nice. So that's why it has to be really a constant process. You can never stop doing it. Good. Okay. I think that's good. Really good advice for people in engineering, but in non-engineering as well, as in allow people to champion sessions and repetition and what's reusable. And you do have to showcase what you've done, your thinking behind it. So we didn't actually discuss that offline, but I think that's a really, really profound piece. Cool. It is. And uh, let me add one thing. And uh, Please do. I think with the, the, the extra level is when, you know, like product people and design people, they're not used to some level of flexibility, right? Yeah. They always think that like, oh, yeah, I'm going to have to convince the engineers to do this thing. But when you put them in the mindset that your system is completely plug and play, that everything is a Lego, they yeah. also start getting more creative. And then engineers, okay. design, product, everyone understanding that uh, the system is a big building block, yeah. that it's not just like a single, you know, rigid piece, then everyone gets more creative. And that's where the real group synapses and magic happens. Do you involve product in quite a lot of these sessions as well? We do make an open invite to literally everyone in the uh, in the group. But the hackathon, we actively invite product and design as well nice. and other areas of the company. We That's go cool. and then we poke people. We are like, hey, join the hackathon. We, we are going to talk to your manager to make time for you. No worries. Like we do whatever <laughs> possible to get the people there. Love it. Good. Uh, talk to us about um, some of these React components in your platform team yeah. and in and around your CDN. Talk to us about that. Absolutely. So the thing is, I'm talking a lot about a bunch of cool things, but of course, the team is the one making the magic happen. Okay. Uh, this one was a piece of a very senior front engineer. Uh, he realized we had this issue with like, hey, how... Uh, like, this was like almost three years ago, I think. It was like, hey, uh, the teams are blocking each other on the pipelines, right? Like, when you get 10, 15, 20 front-enders and they are working on their parts of the system because... Those product teams that I mentioned, those six, seven product teams, they have their own front-enders, back-enders, designer, product yeah. manager, and they want to move at their own pace, right? Some of them are making very profound features that take a year. Some of them are shipping every month. So everyone has a different pace. Everyone has a different like strategy. So the big issue there was like, hey, there is nothing here for us that actually helps us to ship parts of the front-end separate enough, but also together enough. So an example by that, uh, the analyze team takes care of the dashboarding, right? So you go there, you create your charts, you can see your feedback, you can analyze it, amazing. Yep. But the exports is not managed by the analyze team. Exports is managed by the actions team. And then 
but we wanted to ship an export button inside of Analyze. But we also wanted to ship an export button on the response list screen. And we also wanted to ship an export button in another random place. How do you start doing those integrations, right? Do you want the Analyze team to create the export button and then the configuration and then calling the other team's API to make it happen? Those things start getting a bit convoluted because yeah. when I change one setting on my exports, I want this reflected in other places. I don't okay. want it like... I don't want to touch your repo. You don't want to touch mine. I want to be able to ship my features without having to ask the other team. And those things start becoming more common and it gets very bad when you have to ask three teams to make a deployment. That's not what you want, right? So what uh, we were like, all right, we have to solve this problem. And initially we thought, all right, we can just deploy packages, right? You deploy a package with a React component. The the other teams import that package in, and then everyone is happy. Yeah. However, your deployment still depends on the other team because I have to ship my package. They have to update the package on their NPM. Yeah. They have to deploy their app. And maybe their app has like is branched out. I don't know. They're making some crazy stuff and that's not on their schedule. Again, doesn't work. So we wanted something um, basically on runtime. We want okay. to solve the problem runtime. So what we've done was kind of abused the React prop types. So what we've done was we we took those prop types that usually define like, hey, what is the input of my React component? So yep. you're going to have like free fields, type string, type integer, type whatever. And then those are the necessary fields types to make my component work. Yep. So what we've done was we transformed that into a contract. We okay. basically extracted those prop types and then we created it in a contract, and then we gave that contract a version. And then okay. we, that's something we deploy via a package. So we push that to NPM, and then the, we call the application that is importing that package uh, the host application. So let's say I'm uh, the analyze dashboarding, and then I'm going to import the contract for the exports, and I'm going to put it in the right place. And that's it, right? Like that contract specifies that I have to okay. give free free types, free fields. So the analyze team puts those fields there and everyone is happy. What happens on the other side is that that contract has a major version. So let's say version one. As long as the other team doesn't break that contract, they can deploy and push that package to a CDN. Okay. Makes sense. And that's loaded at runtime when the application is loading for the customer. Gotcha. So that contract is established once and then I can modify my component as many times as I want to, as long as I don't change the types. Okay. And that's how we abused a bit of the pro, the, the prop types to, to make it work. There is, of course, some quirks in loading and sharing yeah, the that's context. Pretty smart. Is, but, yeah. uh, how long did that take? This, this was three years or three years ago. How long did that take? That, that's a pretty intuitive piece of engineering. It took a few months of development, but it was just initially like a single person doing a proof of concept. And then we were brainstorming, like uh, this senior engineer was in the platform team and prototyping and playing with it. Yeah. Until we reached a point where we're like, all right, this can actually ship. Yeah. And then uh, we started shipping team by team, making sure that we learned from our mistakes. So like the whole process maybe took a year of uh, okay. back and forth. And we are actually on the second iteration of it because Oi. after that, something came into existence, the Webpack Modules Federation, which came into existence on Webpack V2, which actually 
allows you to load external resources runtime in your application. Love so we're like, all right, now we can ditch some of the hacks uh, we had to create on the loading of the the JS packages and replaced yep. everything now with uh, Webpack itself. That is still rolling out. Yeah, this is a very recent change for us. Nice, good. And are all happy with it? Everyone's happy with it? Well, we're happy. Of course, like, um, I don't know if it fits, let's say, if you have a high volume uh, front-end application, which is not our okay. case because our high volume is mostly on the incoming feedback, not on the analysis. Yep. I think you could have some issues with like N plus one of like one module loading the next. So we need to do some pre-compiling there. Yep. But for our use case, which is most like our customers navigating on their data, we don't have, you know, like sub 50 Makes milliseconds sense. requirements. So the first, it's working very nice. And uh, it created the freedom we needed, which is teams deploy anytime they want to. They only have to coordinate if they break the contract, if they're introducing a V2 of the contract. Nice. Okay. The, you, were, you were pretty keen to talk about um, some parts that I think you mentioned you wish you were doing some some more system design. You uh, or we've uh, spoken about Kafka event-driven architectures. So do, do you want to talk to us about maybe some key components of the architecture or the system that you're proud of that you've been able to get involved in and design? Because I know we spoke about some of those offline. Let's talk about them online. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another three hours of chat, so let's do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Love the little hands together as well. Little yeah, exactly. <laughs> let's go. So the well, one important thing to acknowledge is like when I joined the company, it was almost four years ago, this architecture already started taking shape. Two okay. other architects already had this idea and they were like playing with it. And cool. then after I joined, like more people started working on it and now it's actually a thing. So it's now good. Almost five years since conception to reality. Nice. Uh, that that's why, like in a very broad parenthesis here, that's why sometimes it's good that we spend a few years in a company, right? Because you can see yeah. those things growing and learning from your mistakes. But uh, closing that parenthesis, I don't want to create trouble in the comment section. The <laughs> you, I don't think you will. I think um, I, I agree with your statement, and I could probably agree with any comments that come in the um, new set or com. I agree with the comments that would come in the new comment section as well. Okay, so if you if you disagree, comment below. We are going to have a chat. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll <laughs> chat. We'll chat. So the yeah, this whole thing from conception to existence took at least like two, three years, and we are on the fifth year right now. So it's uh, it's been a journey. So the first thing that I done in the architecture that I was really happy about was uh, we when we started strangling that monolith, yeah. we had to pull the data somehow, right? And the first service that was created, like they did the most like straightforward, however naive way, which is like, hey, I'm just going to do a select everything from the database and start recreating my data, right? So that that's failure prone because when you do a poll on the database, like you might lose updates, you might, you might miss the deletions because you have to be creating deltas and computing that information the whole time. And then after doing some research, um, we found out that change data capture was a great uh, option to that. And that was a whole journey by itself because I was like, hey, I really want to put change data capture here. 
at first, I didn't know any tools. So I was actually talking to our database expert. I was like, hey, I've been thinking, I want to start, you know, consuming the transactional logs. Do you think I can do that? Is that going to be safe? And then we started Googling a bit more. And then we found a very cool tool called Debezium. And Debezium actually does that for you already. So it it's up in the database. Yes. Cool. It's a... Uh, Sponsored by Red Hat, it's fully open source, but Red Hat is the one putting the people behind it, making it a great product. So Debezium, and then uh, we found Debezium, and then we installed, and then I was like, ooh, this thing is going to work out, right? We can actually uh, listen to the transaction logs of those tables, and then we can input it into the new services. In between those two things, we also created one thing called a, an anti-corruption layer, because we didn't want to make the same modeling mistakes from the old system into the new one, right? So if okay. I'm just blindly migrating the data, I'm prone to make the same mistakes. Yep. So we introduced some transformation layer, like it either, you know, transformed the data or it like demultiplexed the data, but it would make sure the data actually fit our new vision, not the yep. old one. So okay. we introduced that layer and the twist that uh, I was really happy to introduce there was to make CDC as a service. So that was actually the first uh, product from our platform team. Uh, what we created was a repo that was able to run the Bezium self-service. And what that means is any team creating a new service after that could go to our repo and make a one-liner uh, commit to a YML file saying like, hey, I want to start CDCing that table from that database. And then we would do all the wiring automatically. The wiring would mean deploying the new configuration, adding monitoring. It would be part of pager duty already. Yeah. It would make sure that the business snapshot of the table would work, resume, metrics, dashboards. So when they merged that thing, the whole infrastructure magic would happen behind. Pretty and they, the team would get a new topic with all the data inside of it, a new, a new Kafka topic with all the data inside of it, gotcha. ready to build their new service. So that was something that I was really happy to yeah to introduce. At the time, we actually worked very close with some folks at Red Hat. Uh, in this nice. case, Gunnar, the the project lead, helped us out. Like, it was it was a blast. It was a very fun project. After that, we cool. it does, doesn't it? So uh, yeah. maybe you, you should have a podcast with the division folks. I'll give it a go. I'll give it a go. <laughs> pu pu putting you on a spot right now. <laughs> yeah, you are. Thank you. <laughs> so the yeah the Bizium is a great tool like it's empowering so many use cases and then we doubled down the Bizium and we actually introduced the outbox pattern inside of a new microservices so basically the outbox pattern was there to answer the dual rights issue which is like let's say I want to write the data to my database but I also want to send a message to Kafka which was exactly okay. our use case in short, yep. like if you don't have a distributed transaction between those two things, the messaging might fail. And if the message fails, you you don't have a consistency anymore, right? You your downstream services can't trust that data stream. So with the Bezium, we are actually publishing messages to Kafka via the database. Those microservices gotcha. they write data to an outbox table, the Bezium takes it out and writes them to, to Kafka for us. And that we could guarantee the, the consistency of the data. And we also made Outbox as a service. <laughs> so we did the same process this time. Yeah. And then uh, the teams come and say like, hey, I want to have Outbox. Yeah. Uh, we have a library for them. 
they have the infrastructure piece. And then again, okay. metrics, containers, all the magic happens. And if it was done today, I would have made that as Kubernetes operators, but we didn't have that power back then. But it works kind of that for those who know Kubernetes operators. But uh, so, yeah, that's like some of the things. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Are you proud? Yeah, I'm really happy about that part. Uh, those are the like, those things are trafficking all the data in our architecture basically now. So it's very Gosh. interesting to see it behaving and working throughout the years. Well, what do you think's next for you guys? Uh, is is there anything on the CX spectrum or horizon that, that's about to boom that everyone in engineering is looking at and thinking that's the route that we need to go down, business or technically? So we are batting in a few areas. Um, for sure, the game industry, like that's big. Like uh, we've been seeing a lot of traction and that's looking super amazing. So we are really yep. uh, putting a lot of effort there. We are putting a lot of effort in individuals. So the thing I mentioned, like, hey, what if Elliot uh, answers five surveys, right? Do we have a track record history of that user? Interesting. Uh, pushing data to CRMs is also something big because a lot of customers like have a whole storyline. They have like years of relationship with some customers and we want to like make sure that uh, agents and CSMs, they get scores. There is like customer satisfaction scores associated with the people from the company for receiving feedback from the final customer. So we are going all of those ways and AI as well, as the name of the company says, Momentum.ai. So you know that pipeline I told you of processing the response data? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the past, we had one AI, which was translation. So like you can, in our platform, you can receive uh, feedback in many languages and then we translate it for you. Yeah. Now we have like five, six machine learning steps on the way wow. and we are just adding more and more. So that was also a very interesting piece of architecture, like to make sure that uh, we can process all of that. It's async of the async in a way, because yeah. some machine learning models are slow by nature. So like yeah. it might take a second, yeah. right? Two seconds. So although our pipeline processing is already async, you still need another async process on it to make sure you can re-enrich the data later. So that's also something we've been uh, putting a lot of effort, machine learning. Okay. Uh, I love that. Listen, you're you're seemingly going to grow in a couple of different areas. We always want to wrap up, and and this piece has been massively insightful. You know, I, honestly, I particularly enjoyed the reusability part. It's been nice to see you get involved over the last four years, build a couple of services. Um, I definitely think some of what you're doing, and obviously the acquisitions of businesses that you've done over the last couple of years is testament to the CX space. So huge, huge kudos to to all of you involved. If people are listening, if they're interested, how do they get in touch? Who should get in touch? As in what sort of engineers? We always love to round off that way. It's been successful in the past. No doubt it will be successful in the future. So just help us understand where you're going to look for talent over the next, let's say, 12 months? Yeah, that's a very good question. The one thing I love saying to everyone who is like applying to our job is like uh, being a T-shaped engineer is a big thing because mm. you don't come up with 
CDC as a service, if you don't know enough about infra, about database, about backend software, about a bit of architecture. So that, that synapsis only occurs when you are expanding from a single uh, specialty in your career. So we re- I really love when I'm talking to people who like have more than one expertise. I think they, they really yeah. shine in our interviews because that, that's the mindset, right? That's what we really yeah. like. And people who like infrastructure, but also like front end, you know, like uh, not many people in the market are going to be able to come up with this CDN real, uh, real-time uh, React module system because you have to understand about not just the React coding, but how the framework works, but also how a CDN works. What are contracts in software engineering, right? So like those things are only going to be able if you really like expand your horizons. So uh, I really, really like like people who do that, like they that they are going to have a good interview. I'll tell you that. So uh, they can look for Momentive AI careers. Uh, we have like plenty of roles. Love it. T-shaped engineers, and and you've heard it from Renato here and there, whether it's front-end components or front-end engineers who are interested in pipelines, infrastructure, whatever, or the whole spectrum back-end with that infra relationship, T-shaped engineers, come and get involved. Renato, I want to say a big thanks. I think... You've done an excellent job and lots of hand movements, lots of passion, um, lots of really, really good insights into the team, the org, what you're building, not just recently, but over the last four years. And it's good to see the business grow. Uh, And I want to say big thanks. Come to take the time, talk to us, share about what you're doing. And honestly, like biggest success over the next 12 months. Fingers crossed. Totally. Well, thanks so much for the opportunity. It was a great chat for sure. Looking forward to what people are going to comment and if they're going to engage. So leave a comment. Let's chat. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Do give us a like, share, tell your friends, get your friends involved, get them on the pod, come and share what you're doing and what you're building. Renato, here's one for you. Drop us a recommendation Or maybe tell some of your friends to come and get involved and tell us about what they're building as well. And big love and big thanks. Absolutely. Thanks so much, everyone. Thanks, Renato. Bye for now, mate. Hey, guys. Thanks for watching this episode. Uh, Massively appreciate you listening and checking in with us. If you want to find out more about us and what we're doing, please check us out on social media. What we're trying to do at Engineers is build a community to drive knowledge sharing and experiences. On Twitter, we can be found at engineers.io. It's no underscore. We've also got a website, which is engineers.io. These links will all be posted in the description. Any feedback and comments are massively appreciated. We're always looking to improve on where we can. Thanks, guys.